Hey, Armstrong and Getty here. And the real estate market is about as crazy as it's ever been. I mean, it's just none of the old rules apply anymore. Everything's different. You gotta, you, you need expert advice. And there will be a new set of new rules next week, too, probably. That's why you have to get great real estate representation. Good or bad or mediocre will no longer do. Give Robert Millward a call. Robert's with Intero Real Estate now at 204-9493. Maybe you're thinking about selling. What's your house worth? Get a good solid number instead of a wild guess. Maybe you're not upside down anymore because, as Jack said, the rules are changing. Who can get approved for a short sale? Who can get approved for a mortgage? Call 204-9493, 204-9493. Talk to the only guy I'd use or go to JoeGettysRealtor.com. That's JoeGettysRealtor.com. It is four hours long, and if you tune into the whole thing, your most shocking discovery might be how frequently and shamelessly he pitches products that he sells. In fact, remember that clip from him earlier, yelling about snakes? Let's just go back to that and play it out a bit. Be honorable. Crush the snakes under your feet. Get behind me, Satan. Now, before I go any further, before I go any further, we got to fund this operation. We got the very best nutraceuticals out there. I don't know if I can run this for another week or so. We want to run it through the end of the month, but that's like 11 days. Because I don't want it to sell out before Morgan's in X2, the good halogen. 20% off InfoWarsLife.com, InfoWarsLife.com, InfoWarsLife.com. Whoa, that is a hard turn to have to make. The Satan-worshipping deep state globalists are going to murder you and your entire family. Open your eyes, sheeple. They are coming for you. They're coming for all of us. <clears throat> But first, <laughs> McGillicuddy's oatmeal. The perfect way to start your day. <laughs> I got to get into the Alex Jones. I've been missing out on all this, all this time. Awesome. Uh, thanks for tuning us in. Joe's playing golf at Pebble Beach today. It's some sort of big deal a client thing. Like they had a get-together drink fest last night with high rollers. I mean, you got to be a high roller if you're going to. Get invited to play golf at Pebble Beach. Joe just texted me that a guy whiffed on the first tee. Oh, which is uh, yeah, that's rough. That's oh, rough. You got to give up your spot to the caddy. He's the player now. You have to carry the clubs. We're gonna miss. I played Pebble Beach when I was uh, 18 years old. When I graduated high school, my buddy and I drove my dad's pickup to California from Kansas to play Pebble Beach golf. And I was at my the best I was ever going to be in my life as a golfer, coming off. Four years of playing high school golf and all that sort of stuff. But I still, my only concern was decent shot off the first tee at Pebble Beach because there's some people hanging around. Everybody's waiting in line. They, they tee off like every seven minutes. I mean, so there's there's constant golfing. I just, I just, and I, it wasn't, it wasn't a giant, like my best shot ever, but it was down the middle in the air in the fairway. So I was happy. But man, I was definitely, I kept picturing my mind to, dribbling it off the tee box or boy the complete swing and a miss like joe just saw that's rough when you don't even connect when the grass goes farther than the ball does <laughs> or the ball just stays there right. <laughs> the ball is still there oh long day at pebble beach which is the if you don't know anything about golf that's probably the best golf course you can play in the world that you can actually play 
There are some private private places, but you can't get on those at all. Was that, that was public? Was that the first time you saw the ocean? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pacific or Atlantic, yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. First, time, the the thing that sticks out in my mind the most of that trip, first time I ever saw a homeless person. I'd heard of them. The ocean and the homeless person. <laughs> wow, what I'd a trip! Have, I'd have heard of homeless people, but I'd never, I'd never contemplated that it actually could be. Remember at a stoplight in Los Angeles, and I'm telling you, when the biggest city you've ever driven in in your whole life is, I think at that time, seven thousand people. Biggest city I'd ever driven in was seven thousand people. Um, driving in Los Angeles was quite the thing. But, My high school had four thousand. <laughs> God, I can't even picture that. But um, uh, saw a homeless person. I remember my buddy and I, we just sat there at the stoplight just staring at him like, wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. What is going on there? I don't get it. He didn't shout, get a home. By the way, I was mentioning my brother from Kansas, rural Kansas in town. He's a uh, he's a Trump voter. And uh, most of most of his friends are Trump voters. So I had a... Um, focus group of one, right, to ask. on. He was there Friday, and we were watching all this Scaramucci stuff and chief of staff stuff go down, watching cable news, watching the Fox. And I don't you know, I don't know how many Trump voters he, he uh, represents, but he fully gets that Trump's crazy. He, he thinks he might even be mentally ill. <laughs> he said he looked back at some of the interviews of Trump in the 80s and how, how lucid he was and calm, and now he just he flits from subject to subject. He said, but he... And I think a lot of Trump voters, he just likes it being different. He doesn't believe his party, the Republican Party, is going to do anything for him. The whole health care vote was evidence of that. They claimed they were going to do something for seven years, didn't do anything. So what do I care? Let the crazy person throw a wrench in the whole thing. I've got nobody that, uh, that I can count on now. So I don't know. That might be where a lot of the Trump voters are. They just want to be entertained. Well, they just, they just want to disrupt things because there is no party that represents them. I think that's the feeling. They don't, they don't feel... There's no other choice. Who are they supposed to root for? I guess is the feeling. Um, Graph in USA Today. By the way, coming up in just a few minutes, we are going to learn about, you are going to learn about, something called uh, CRISPR. CRISPR. It's an acronym. It's an acronym. Sounds like a serial, but it's an acronym. And it's about genetic editing that is here and exists and can be done. And once you get into the realities of what people might start doing in terms of editing the genes of animals and people, it gets frightening and weird fast. And we're going to talk to a favorite of the Armstrong and Getty show, uh, Vivek Wadwa, coming up on that. He's with the Washington Post. Came across this in USA Today. Top meeting distractions. They ask people what their top distractions are in meetings at work. Oh, that's good stuff. 27% said one of their top meeting distractions is thinking about inserting a witty joke to make the meeting more fun. <laughs> so so almost one out of three people are sitting there thinking, okay, I think I got a good one. Just where to put it in? <laughs> Just looking for my opening. <laughs> Preparation meets opportunity. That's me. <laughs> that is hilarious. I'm not laughing, damn it, I'm not laughing! That's a lot of pressure, too, if you decide you want to do that. Oh, and if it lands flat, all oh. you've done is elongated the meeting? Oh. Well, the worst is if you got a good one, but you start in, but Jim starts talking at the oh. same time, so you get a couple of words out, and you can't go back to it because it's ruined, and, oh, that's just... I hate you, Jim! 
You ruined my bit. You're a bit ruiner. Oh, so remember and, that if you're in a meeting today, a third of the people in there, the only thing on their mind is where can I put in something funny? And then once Jim ruins your bit, you just think, should I repeat it? Should I say it again? Should I say it louder and wait? Oh, there, there is there is no worse feeling than taking that second swing at a joke that it, it just it's just the worst. Yeah. It just it's it feels so bad. It's almost as bad. Well. <laughs> almost as bad as taking the like second swing at the uh, the the Pebble Beach after you whiff yeah. on the first yeah. one. It is it is it is rough. It is rough. My advice would be, having done it many times in my life, if it doesn't work that first time, you just gotta you just gotta abandon it. You just got to let it go. It might have been a great line. It might have killed. People might have carried you out of the room on their shoulders. But it's over now, and it ain't coming back. The moment is gone. Oh. Well, the best is when, like, your your friend Larry, he heard it. He acknowledged it. He knows it's funny. And then he says it again, like, <laughs> acknowledging that you oh, yeah. Had, yeah. Your, had your funny joke yeah. and kind of gives you credit. And so, thanks, yeah. Larry. <laughs> Jim screwed me, but I got you. Appreciate it, Larry. Um... So we're going to learn about CRISPR coming up in a second. I listened to a podcast about this over the weekend. It, uh, it it gets you into some weird territory fast of where the world might be going. Nuclear war is probably not what's going to do us all in. Probably not global warming either. It's probably some of this gene editing, DNA cloning stuff that is going to doom a mankind. And we're going to learn a lot about it coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Design your own child, would you do it? Well, you might be able to in the future, and uh, what that means for mankind, of course, is quite troubling. The technology behind it is CRISPR. You don't really need to understand it, other than the fact that it is here, and it is going to be used by someone, if even if not in the United States. Let's talk to Vivek Wadwa. He's professor at Carnegie Mellon University about this. Vivek, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How you doing? Hey, Jack. Good to be on. Yeah. Is it even worth going through a brief uh, explanation of what CRISPR is? I think it'll just confuse people. Yeah, well, essentially, um, it's editing uh, life itself, editing your genes, editing DNA, so that you can put things into it or take features out of it. That's just like editing a Word document, except you're doing it with life itself. Yeah, good, good. I like that description. And the, the technology to do that, is it here already? Yeah, in fact, uh, scientists at UC Berkeley, at Cal, and at MIT simultaneously discovered it about five years ago. And over the last year or two, it's been advance after advance with the Chinese taking the lead. Now a group in Portland, uh, scientists in Portland, demonstrated that they could edit an embryo and do it accurately. In other words, before the Chinese had done, it was error-prone, that they would try things and sometimes it would come out right, sometimes it wouldn't come out right. What they showed in Portland was that they could accurately you know, edit um, the genes. Now imagine being able to edit out disease that, uh, you, you know, you have a strain of uh, uh, some horrible disease that run, runs in your family and you find that the child is going to be, uh, you know, in, um, be suffering for their whole lives. Imagine if you could take a pill which cuts that gene out. And now imagine, uh, you know, when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, by the way, would you like to add some extra IQ? Would you like to now have blue eyes instead of black eyes? Would you like blonde hair? And being able to do those enhancements. Yeah, I'm not it sure. Seems like crazy science fiction, but it's coming. Yeah, it is coming, and it's uh, it's coming fast. And we got to figure out how to deal with this. Now, I'm not sure. Now, we all like would like to edit out some of the horrible, you know, things that can happen. 
uh, with kids. You know, would you like to edit out uh, if there was a way to edit out uh, autism or leukemia or whatever like that? We'd all like to do that. And I don't think eye color or hair color is going to matter that much. But when you start getting uh, editing, you know, an embryo to make it smarter, taller, stronger, then the whole natural selection process is thrown out of whack. And then then where do we go from there? Exactly. The question is, where do you draw the line? I have a, a new book that I wrote about it called Driver in the Driverless Car, How Technology Choices Will Create the Future. In it, I went through not one, but several technologies. It's not just CRISPR. It's also artificial intelligence, robots. Uh, I mean, all across the board, the amazing advances happening, and they're happening at the same time. And we're going to have to make some tough choices over here. I mean, the question is, you know, if, if, you're, if, you're, Jack, if, if your wife, if your child is going to have a debilitating disease, I'm sure you, you want to take that out. I mean, you would basically say that uh, I owe to my child to do it. But then if everyone in the neighborhood is getting IQ enhancements, you'd, you know, if your child didn't have those, they'd be left behind. Sure. You would feel obliged to do that as well. So this is the type of craziness we're going to see the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah, and uh, at least in the early going, it would I mean to to add yet another ethical layer of problem to it. In the early going, it would only be available to uh, people with enough money. Exactly, that's what the problem is. Already now, you have people with the rich who have access to better healthcare, who have access to better diagnostics, who have access to better technologies than the poor. So for for many years, it'll be just the rich that have it. And and now the the good and the bad about CRISPR is that. Anyone can do it. It's inexpensive to do it, but they won't have the knowledge. They won't have the high-end tools or the capabilities to get it right. And it could be experiments that go you know, very, very wrong. We could be editing ourselves as well in the next decade or two. Are you taking a stance on this? Like, are you advocating that governments jump in immediately and say no editing of, uh, of embryos? I wrote a piece for the Washington Post uh, two years ago in which I said we need a we need a moratorium on human genome editing, and uh, then you know then there were debates about it, and scientists did have a moratorium for a while. And most recently, in February of this year, the National Academy of Sciences of the United States said, "Okay, let's go ahead and and do it very carefully." Oh my God! I mean, uh, you know, this sort of now has uh, has opened the floodgates because it's not illegal. I mean, it's illegal. You know, this is this is mind blowing. In America, you can't use federal funds to experiment with embryos, but you can do it yourself. In other words, you know, anyone listening to this could get a kit and be editing uh, plants, animals, or themselves, and it's legal. There are no laws to stop it from happening, and it costs a few hundred dollars, maybe a couple of thousand dollars to get started. That's all it costs. Obviously, you'd have to have the know-how, but so there's no financial barrier. So even if we uh, decide to put some ethics rules in place, we can't, you know, we can't stop other countries from doing it. And obviously places like China, North Korea, Russia, they don't care about ethical consequences. Exactly. This is why the Chinese are leading it. They, you know, they, uh, Be- Beijing Genomics Institute uh, announced two years ago that they'd be selling micro pigs for $1,400. What are micro pigs? The Chinese love having pigs as, as pets, except they're big and bulky. So they shrunk them down to the size of beagles. So you could have micro pigs at home as your pets. $1,400 was the price that they had announced two years ago. And, and then they edited beagles, they edited uh, monkeys. I mean, they've been editing any, every animal there is, and then human beings. So how are we going to stop them? We can't stop them. So this is what the point is, that the technologies are coming. And again, this is one of many. I, you know, I wrote an entire book about this, about my excitement and my fears, because what I see happening are two outcomes. One is that we could uh, really uplift civilization itself 
and be headed towards a Star Trek future, an amazing future in which we have unlimited food, unlimited energy. We live in perfect health. The other is the utopia of Mad Max, you know, of, of these, the crazy science fiction we saw in which humanity rips itself apart, of Frankenstein's being created, of, of uh, you know, killer robots, uh, runaway viruses. These are the same future. They could happen at the same time. And it's really up to us to learn all of these advances. So your, your listeners will think that this guy's a nutcase. He may be a professor at Carnegie Mellon, but what he's saying is, is science fiction. It is not science fiction. Just Google it, read up on it, watch the videos. You know, you talked about learning it. You can go on Google and, and watch videos which show you how to do all of this stuff. You can go on in the Internet and buy kits. You can order them on the Internet today, starting at $150, which lets you edit uh, life. This is not science fiction. It's happening right now. The only thing is that we're not aware of it. There are only a few people who seem to be aware of it, and there are even fewer people who seem to be worried about the ethics of it. And this is what keeps me up at night, is the fact that we're headed into the future without understanding uh, you know, um, the consequences of the things we're doing. Uh, is China going to make soldiers that are seven feet tall and unbelievably strong and have millions of them? I'll bet you money they're doing it right now. Wow. I'll bet you they're doing it. Wow. And I'll bet you also that, that the U.S. government is doing things like that. We're not, you know, we may have ethical guidelines, but when it comes to warfare, governments don't seem to discriminate. Everything is fair in, um, in love and war, as they say. But in, in war, governments do crazy things. So I'll bet you that these experiments are going on right now. Wow. Um, I'm trying to figure out how we'd even do those experiments in the United States. You think we're actually... Uh, growing humans, uh, uh, test tube kids with no know. parents? Or? In China, you know, I had read about them editing embryos, and I was shocked. I was stunned. Okay. So, you'll, you, you know, I, I, I'll bet you that there are people who are trying to bring these embryos to life and see what happens. Yeah, it, it's, hard to imagine, uh, it's hard to imagine that it wouldn't happen. I mean, what would stop it from happening? So, you're, you're, uh, you know, you presented it as there could be this unbelievable future ahead of us where we edit out you know, cancer and leukemia and autism and all these different things, it'd be great. There also could be this awful side. Well, I think clearly the awful side will win. I mean, that that's the, that's the, the danger is much greater threat than the good side is uh, an opportunity, don't you think? Jack, we've always had these, uh, you know, technologies. We had guns, we had bombs, we had nuclear weapons, right? Mankind somehow muddled its way through and didn't destroy itself. So overall, I'm optimistic that we will get it right. But the message of my book that, you know, that I keep telling, uh, talking about why I'm so evangelical about it is that we've got to learn. We need to have everyone who's listening to this understand this. And then we have to tell our leaders what we consider to be ethical and what our laws should be because there are no laws about any of this stuff. The fact that you can edit embryos and legally in the United States today is, is shocking. I mean, you have, you know, uh, you know, people who try to stop uh, stem cell research on ethical and moral grounds. I respect that. But now you can edit embryos without, um, uh, you know, I mean, you could you, add features or subtract features. You can do all of this stuff now and anyone can do it. Uh, where's the outrage? Well, people aren't aware of this. How much? This in- is, again, this is not science fiction. It's happening today. How much intelligence could you add to a human? Like a, a few percentages well, or a lot? This is all new. There was a paper published about a month ago in which they, for the first time, they identified a set of genes associated with intelligence. So this is an emerging field. My guess is it'll be three or four years before they identify exactly what you have to cut and paste to get more IQ. But three or four years, maybe five years, is not that far away. 
And once you know they do it, then there'll be all sorts of experiments worldwide to do it to animals, and then they'll oh. test it on humans. Oh my God! We start yeah. making animals much smarter. Who knows where that leads? Now you're going to have beagles. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we'll have beagle-sized pigs that are you know smarter than I am. I don't know what good that is. <laughs> like we're speculating a lot over here. We're taking it, you know, it, it, it we're way, way beyond where it is, but this is where the research is right now, that they are experimenting with, they're trying to find out what genes are associated with, with IQ. And again, once they make the breakthroughs, then the floodgates open up because anyone can do it. You know, another thing that will blow your mind, that uh, there's a scientist at Harvard, George Church, who's trying to resurrect the bully mammoths. Why? Because scientists believe that one of the reasons for global warming is that we don't have the mammoth in the tundra compressing ice anymore. So what if we could repopulate the tundra with, uh, with mammoths and have them compress the ice? We could save the world. So, you know, the last uh, article I read about it was that he's three or four years away from being able to bring it to life. Now, that's the stuff out of Jurassic Park. Yeah. Now, the next thing you'll do is that they discover some intact DNA from raptors or, you know, T-Rexes still try to bring those back to life. God knows what's becoming possible. What's the, uh, I think that guy's stretching to come up with a reason why he wants to have a circus attraction, but um, what what ethical problem is there with bringing back a woolly mammoth? Uh, the ethical problem is that you're creating new life forms. I mean, are we allowed to do that? I mean, is this God's intention that we start creating our own life forms? I mean, I, you, know, I, 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 you know, I'm not very religious, but I tell you, this gets me really worried, and I haven't, you know, this, this, except this is why I spent two and a half years writing a book about this stuff, to, to try to um, educate people on it and to discuss what I think is right and wrong. And uh, on, on this gene editing thing, I took a line saying that we're not ready for this. Please stop. We can't edit human beings. It's so, you know, we, it may be okay to edit plants to make them resistant to drought so that we can create more food to have more nutrition in plants and so on. Okay, that may be acceptable. But the moment you start now doing this on animals and human beings, it becomes too scary for me. Maybe 10 or 15 years from now, once we have understood the consequences of it, it'll be okay. But the question is, if, you, if we did now start editing out one disease, could it be the way introducing new diseases to the body? Are we now crippling the human germline so that future generations are, are impaired? We don't know. This is brand new. The technology is only five years old, and it was invented here at Cal. So this is the world we're in today. That is really interesting. Vivek Wadwell, what's the name of your book again? Driver in the Driverless Car, How Our Technology Choices Will Make the Future. Yeah, I got to check that out. on Amazon. I got to check that out. If you not, read it, my friend. If nothing else, for the beagle-sized pigs. I mean, that is really a charming-sounding <laughs> little beast. Vivek Wadwell, he's a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. Appreciate your time today, Vivek. Anytime, Jack. Yeah, that he, he is right, and there's just... There's no way. I've tried bringing this stuff up to people, and it's kind of a fun conversation for a couple minutes, and people chuckle, and then they go on to something else. For some reason, people can't uh, grasp this being a world disruptor the way people can grasp terrorism or nuclear weapons or or something, or the Ebola virus or whatever, Uh, that this is going to happen. People are going to start editing genes, and you're going to have... You know, people who can afford it giving their kids 15% more intelligence and strength. Right. And so you'll have a whole different class of human that's smarter and stronger among a certain, uh, you know, income set. And then Creating course, a- human-animal hybrids. And then, of course, what that does to natural selection, because right. then they will have kids that have their genetic... You're, you're editing future generations, because every generation is going to have that 
going forward. And what that does to natural selection in mankind, we don't have any idea. Um, and, and he was saying you can get some of these kits online? Yeah. You can buy them yeah, now? it's real cheap. Wow. It's real cheap to do. That's one of the big kind of appeals of this CRISPR technology is that it is universal. The same thing that you do to make your shock of wheat more resistant to drought right. is the same thing that you would use to get Alzheimer's out of an embryo. Right? Like, it is the same technology. Wow. It is universal. It is cheap. And it is fairly easy to use from what the people yeah. who are saying these things are yeah. saying. And, and, in, and, the, and the problem, of course, is even if in the United States... Our uh, our slow moving system gets its head around it and makes it illegal to start doing this. You know, as he said, he he absolutely bet, would bet his own money that they're already doing this in China, breeding seven foot oh, yeah. tall, super strong, uh, you know, uh, military guys. You know, you're going to go to a science fair someday for uh, junior high school kids, and there's going to be kids that have these kits, uh, you know, concocting their own beasts. Well, as he yeah. said, very popular in China right now. Uh, Beagle-sized pigs, because oh, people like cute little pigs God, as pets. That sounds adorable. Oh, it does. Yeah. See, I, what's the ethical downside of a beagle-sized pig? Can I have two? <laughs> <laughs> duck-sized horses or horse-sized ducks are going to be part of our future. Yeah. It's not. It's no longer just going to be a theoretical joke. But when you get into the human beings and doing that sort of stuff, that's what's going to do in mankind. Yeah. It's not going to be a nuclear war, and it's not going to be global warming. It's going to get this run rampant. And then if people get super smart, so everybody in your neighborhood is having kids that are 20% smarter, um, well, you got to do it for your own kid or you have no chance sure. to compete. But at some point when the brain gets, you know, where you get too smart, who knows how we behave? Who knows what happens? Nobody knows. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very strange future we're being faced with. But at least you have your cute little beagle-sized pig beside you at all times. Oh, can you imagine the Instagram posts? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I would oh, shut yeah. down the gram. Uh, and the little outfits you could put on it. Oh, that's cute. A little com- Trump wig on one of them. <laughs> What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Perhaps you could add that to Pugs and Goats, yes. your uh, Instagram feature. It's Pug and Goats. Singular Pug. pug. Goat. Oh, okay. Plural Goats. Pug okay. and Goats. All right. President Trump not letting go of repeal and replace, pushing for another vote. To get more proof, it's great to be a public servant and the connection between sleep and what you weigh. Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Giddy. I definitely want to hear that as I gained a couple of pounds over the weekend eating unfortunate foods. Stay with us. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Interesting. Looking at the text, there are people that are alarmed by this whole um, editing of genes like I am. There are people who say, get this alarmist conspiracy nut off the air. Joe is gone and it's become the Alex Jones show. <laughs> I'm telling you, this stuff is absolutely friggin' real. And it's think, happening around the world. I don't think he was necessarily alarmist. I, he seemed equally excited. But hey, let's let's pump the brakes and let's talk about this. This is all brand new technology. We need to figure out if there's unintended consequences to doing this sort of stuff. I'm alarmist. I think the bad side of it will way outside, way outweigh. <laughs> Don't use way twice, you idiot. <laughs> I think the bad part of it will considerably outweigh the good part of it. In the hands of the Russians and the Chinese, for instance. Um, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> That's what we're going to have. I do love his movie references, though. Yeah. yeah exactly. Jurassic Park, Planet of the Apes. We're doing Mad Max. It's happening now. Well, for instance, hey, mister, I've turned into Alex Jones. They are trying to clone a woolly mammoth. That is not. Right. That, that is well known. Yes. In fact, it's almost certainly going to happen. 
And what what's going to happen out of that? We they're nobody has start tamping down the ice and then boom. <laughs> no, the- no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that guy came up with a crazy reason to come up with a with an attraction. He can charge you a dollar to go into a tent and look at. Uh, let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump's convening his uh, cabinet for a kickoff meeting with the new chief of staff, John Kelly, heaping praise on Kelly for doing a miraculous job while he was running the Department of Homeland Security. The border was a tremendous problem. And now close to 80% stoppage, and even the president of Mexico called me. They said their southern border, very few people are coming because they know they're not going to get through our border. Trump going on to say... I predict that uh, General Kelly will go down in terms of the position of chief of staff, one of the great ever. (laughs) Well, that's certainly (laughs) possibly true. Um... As everybody says, the key to this whole thing yeah. is, is the president going to allow somebody to be in charge of this sort of thing? Is that a very common barroom debate? Top five chiefs of staff. <laughs> yeah, right. Who's the current best chief of staff in yeah. history? James Baker. Everybody agrees James Baker, who ran uh, Reagan's White House and then Bush's White House, is the, uh, is the gold standard of chiefs of staff. Um, but Leon Panetta, I heard him ask yesterday, Leon right. Panetta also considered pretty good chief of right. staff under Bill Clinton. And then he was also secretary of defense and uh, ran the CIA. So right. the guy's got a tremendous amount of experience. Um, as he pointed out, the wild card in the whole mix was not Reince Priebus. <laughs> it's Donald no. Trump. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't eliminate the crazy part by getting rid of Reince Priebus. The, 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 well, the crazy's unfair, but the... The uh, un- unconventional part. Right. Reince wasn't the unconventional part. Trump's the unconventional part. So Trump's either going to decide, hey, you're in charge of who comes in and sees me and when, or you're not. And I'm thinking if he if the guy finds out he's not, he's going to quit. Don't you think? I don't, I don't see that general hanging around. Oh, no, huh? No. To just be, you know, an ornament. Meanwhile, the president is not giving up on repeal and replace, telling Republican senators to go nuclear to pass a new health care bill. Official President Trump tweet reader Vincent Nicholas with those volleys. Don't give up, Republican senators. The world is watching. Repeal and replace and go to 51 votes nuke option. Get cross state lines and more. You know, I should back up a second because my brother asked this question. Perfectly legitimate question. And Sean and Vince were joking about this for good reason. Uh, what the heck, you know, chief of staff? Who, no, nobody talks about chiefs. That's inside Beltway stuff. What is a chief of staff? That person controls, usually, who the president right. gets to see. What are your meetings today? Who are you seeing? For how long? What's the big issue? Right. Which articles are put in front of you? Uh, what news stories do you need to be aware of? The chief of staff, you you hire a good one, and that person controls all that for you, so you don't get overwhelmed by all the crap out there. Right, the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Trump, Reince Priebus was not that. Trump's, Trump just he just kind of wanders around, talks to whoever he wants. Well, people could call him on his cell phone. And uh, there, there was no gatekeeper. Right. And Ivanka Trump's already tweeted out she's looking forward to working with Kelly, not working for him. She didn't put that part in, but she's basically still saying, you know, I got access to daddy. Well, as a daughter, of course she does. Yes. But the Donald saying on day one, John Kelly's going to be the best chief of staff of all time. Right. It's, it's a little well, much. Well, of course that's a little much. <laughs> a, a little much. A lot much. That's that's Donald Trump's thing. The Indeed. only chief of staff I really know is Leo McGarry, but he was a fictionalized one from the TV show The West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> Former Chancellor of the University of California at Davis, who resigned last year after months of controversy, returns to the campus in the fall teaching at a salary comparable to the one she earned you've as campus got to leader. Be, you've got to be freaking kidding. No. 
University officials say she's Lind- a crook, allegedly. She is a co- she's just a crook, allegedly. But that whole deal she did with the textbook right. company and everything right. else, and she gets to come back at her old salary and teach a class. You've got to be kidding. Only in government. Yeah. Only does the taxpayer get screwed like this. Oh, my God. University officials say Linda Katei will be paid $318,000 on a nine-month contract to teach wow. electrical and computer engineering. Wow. Congratulations on stealing from the taxpayer. I should tip my hat to you. You just know how to work the system better than the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, they're saying that's about the same rate as the $424,000 annual salary she received as a chancellor. So this is a nine-month contract she's wow. getting paid that for. That is amazing. All right, one last note. Not getting enough sleep, Jack, can lead to bigger waistlines. New study out of the University of Leeds in England found people who slept around six hours a night had waistlines on average over an inch larger than those who slept nine hours a night. Yeah, I sleep around six hours a night. And they also had lower good cholesterol, too. Researchers aren't sure what's behind the correlation, but some are speculating that being sleep-deprived could lead to decreased self-control. Oh, I know that's true. Remember, you're running with the donuts over the weekend. <laughs> that's a look at your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice Don't of the West. Don't use donut shame, Jack. Yeah, I ate donuts for the first time in about almost two years. He donut shamed himself. Yeah. Yeah, and he can do that. You can't. Oh, listen to I you. Did, I did lose my temper at a car wash over the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. Yelled at some people. Good. It's my fault. I should have been running interference there. I'm, I want to become the chief of staff of this show. <laughs> i got to start saying who can and who can't have it. Car yeah. wash guy? No, no. You uh, talk to me. <laughs> what was happening at said car wash? Yeah. yeah maybe I'll tell that story. Oh, I don't know. Oh. I was in the right. There's no doubt about it. I see. I still didn't need to raise my voice, as I had to explain to my children on the drive home. <laughs> oh, the children were with you. Oh, of course oh, they were. God. Let me guess. You paid for the wax, and they didn't give you wax. <laughs> it's, it, it, no. it wasn't the right kind of freshener. Uh <laughs> Stay tuned. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Blue collar panel this Friday, eight o'clock hour. If you can be here, if you uh, if you work, if you're a plumber, if you uh, repair air conditioners, whatever, you got a good job, you like it, and you want to talk about how that's a an option that's open to a lot of people, or just what it's like. How does culture look at you? Anyway, if you'd like to be a part of it, what do they do, Sean? What do they do? Send an email to armstrongandgetty at yahoo.com. Just put a trades panel or blue-collar panel in the subject line, and then uh, I'll, I'll be reaching out uh, in the next day or two to, to confirm times with you. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that it's this low, but they've got a study here that says a third of employees attend meetings that are pointless. I think it's a little higher than that. But uh, when you attend a meeting, I've attended, I, I, I often make this joke, I've attended, I think, one meeting in my whole life that need to happen. It ain't much higher than that. There aren't many meetings that need to happen. And it's funny how your Steve Jobses and people like that are always given credit for, they didn't believe in meetings. You had to have it in the hallway or stand up or there had to be less than five minutes or whatever. All the super successful people agree meetings are pointless, yet they continue to go on in corporate America. Anywho, when you go to a pointless meeting, what do people think about? I mentioned earlier that about a third of people think about when they could put a witty joke into the meeting. Uh, Also, about a third of people think about co-workers' wardrobes. I do do that now and then. I wonder where he got those shoes. Or does he think those jeans are a good idea? I do that all the time. 
Man, that dress is a little snug on her, or whatever. <laughs> Good-looking sport coat right there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, other top distractions. 40% of us admit to daydreaming about taking a vacation. I don't do that. If by vacation you mean not being in the meeting, then yes. Running errands. I do that. I do a little, like, going through my day. Okay, once I get out of this complete BS fest, what do I need to do? Oh, that's right. But, uh, so yeah, you're not the only one who thinks it's a... Oh! And... Uh, 88% of people admit to pretending to understand office jargon. <laughs> like when people say, we need to reverse leverage uh, the clarify the initiative. Uh-huh. 88% yeah, of us yeah, yeah, yeah. fake that we know what that means. <laughs> I, I concur. Fine <laughs> idea. Fine idea. I just nod. But mm. does it scale? <laughs> Do we have an announcer today or did we give up on that? Can you say final thoughts? Yeah. Armstrong and Getty? Yeah. That's pretty good. I like that. That's very good. I am your host for Final Thoughts as Joe Getty is playing golf with big wigs at Pebble Beach and probably throwing around phrases like that. Uh, let's hear a final thought from Michelangelo. All right, today we talked about nuclear missiles, genetic modification, and Chris Christie holding nachos while confronting somebody. <laughs> the scariest A&G show ever. <laughs> that Chris Christie video, if you haven't seen it, yeah. you got to check it out. Best headline no. says, a nacho-wielding Chris Christie. A nacho-wielding <laughs> Chris Christie. <laughs> yes. Final thought from Marshall Phillips. I got to tell you, if you got to go to a meeting, do what uh, Vince and I did. Bring a couple of young ladies along, drink uh, heavily, and uh, eat massive quantities of steak and uh, other good foods. I'm glad your double date was such a success. Is there another one in the future? Possibly. There is Vincent. How about a final thought from Vincent? Band name of the day goes to Marshall Phillips for the bovine dilemma, but Bonmo and question to ponder today goes to Positive Sean for is it loneliness or freedom? It's a good one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to steal the thunder for Sean and his final thought if he was going to uh, mention that. Uh, no, I was going to mention uh, CRISPR and how I'm fascinated with this, but I only want like a temporary thing. I just want to be Dwayne The Rock Johnson for like a weekend just to see what that's like <laughs> and then go back to my normal self. Exactly. Sean mentioned earlier he spent the whole weekend alone and loved it, and he's trying to decide whether there's anything wrong with that. And yeah. Is it freedom or loneliness? I think if you're enjoying it, it's freedom. If you're not, it's loneliness. But... Uh, I think society's got a problem with a lot of people enjoy being alone and don't see any reason to live any other way. All right. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. Nothing crazy has happened yet today. It's uh, the, the, the odds would say something will. See you tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over. The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. Yeah, we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Bye-bye. She's talking to Bob Schieffer. And nothing in his half-century of Edward R. Murrow award-winning journalism could have possibly prepared him for the question, does the idea of Steve Bannon make you angry or sad? Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West.